So in John chapter 6, you want to grab uh, also your phone, you can turn it on there. We do that as well, and that's, uh, that works for us. Hey, here's the question. Could anything happen? I, I wonder if, could there be anything that would cause you to stop following Jesus? When it comes to our faith in God, our faith in Jesus, could anything, could you imagine something happening in life that would cause you to stop following? And notice I didn't say stop believing, but stop obeying. Stop listening. Stop following. See, in the passage we're going to look at today, there is literally thousands of people who are following Jesus. And by the end of chapter 6, in the beginning of chapter 6, there's thousands of people who are excited. They're following Jesus. By the end of chapter 6, there's only a couple dozen. Is there anything that could cause you to stop following Jesus? Because, see, in this passage, Jesus is going to reveal something about life and life with God that's not the life that people expect. And because it's not the life they expect, they're going to, instead of following Jesus, reject Jesus and walk away from him. Because, see, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is pretty popular, and his popularity is growing. Now, it's interesting, John's Gospel really focuses on the third year of the three years of Jesus' ministry. The focus of John's Gospel is not on the first two years, but rather the last year. So when you get into John's Gospel, he's already been going on and teaching for two years. And if you go to chapter 2 in John's Gospel, he had just turned water into wine. That made just about anybody follow Jesus. They're at a party. They run out of wine, and, and suddenly he's turning water into wine, and people are hearing about what he's done, this sign, this miracle that points to who he is, and many people start following him. And maybe there are those that heard about this conversation, conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well. He shows up to this well in John chapter 4. He meets a woman, and yet he knows everything about her. And the entire city, the entire town turns out to see Jesus because of the impact that he had in her life, and many people began to follow him in John chapter 4. And then after that, there's a number of healing events. There's an official son who is healed. There's a man at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem that is healed. And story after story, people begin to get on the bandwagon for Jesus. His popularity is growing. And more and more people are excited to hear what he has to say. They love his teaching. They love his miracles. And then we get to John chapter 6, and he turns... He multiplies bread. He multiplies fish. For 5,000 men, women, and children, there's this miraculous event that takes place. And everyone is ready to crown him king. But let me ask you, is there anything in your life that, or anything that could happen that would cause you to say, you know what, I'm done. I love the miracles. I love the teachings. I love the bread. I love the wine. I loved all that stuff, Jesus. But now that I really know who you are and what you're asking of me, I'm not ready to make that step. See, in John chapter 6, that's what's about to happen. There are those that are following him, but he's going to make a statement. And as we learned, like last week in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the I am. Not merely that I exist, but I am existence. And in terms of the Old Testament, Jesus was saying, I am Yahweh. I am the God of the Old Testament. And I've come and I'm here with you today. And see, today in John chapter um, 6, he's going to say, not simply I am the I am, but I am the bread of life. See, I'm not just life, but I'm life itself. And when you come to me, you experience life. 
So let's jump in in John chapter uh, 6 and pick it up in verse 25. We'll read down to uh, verse 59. The word of the Lord. Verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that they may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, if Moses, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then jump down to verse 47. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, Who can can this man, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the true, the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate, And died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogues as he taught in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. And all thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the words that Jesus gives us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And yet, Father, the life that we want. And if I had to be honest, the life that I I tend to wake up in the morning anticipating, it's not often the life that you've promised, but it's just simply the life that I desire. We're often chasing after life, but in chasing after life, we've, we've missed you. We've missed the reality that life isn't just a gift from you, you are life. And in knowing you, we experience the fullness of life. And so, Lord, as we just take this time this morning uh, to walk through your word, Would you instruct us and teach us? 
Lord, would you expose in us if there's anything that needs to change in us where we might walk away from you because we don't know who you are or what you're offering. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you show us Christ and show us the life that he has offered us. Meet us here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things we're going to look at. One, Jesus is going to expose or address the need that most of us have. He's going to expose our motivations, why we come to God. And then finally, he's going to test our allegiance. Because in this story, people are pretty excited to follow him, but some conflicts arise, and those conflicts arise around what they believe about who Jesus is and what he's offering them. And the first thing he's going to address is their true need. That often when we come to God, we come to God not to get God, but we come to God to have our needs met. There's nothing wrong with that. See, we don't come to God to get God. Rather, we come to God to get our needs met. God, I want eternal life. I want to be in heaven. God, I want to be forgiven. And often we come to God for the benefits that God can give and not to know God himself. And what Jesus is going to first address is the need of the crowd. And see, out of that need, he's going to tell them your motivations. And this is true as you grow in the Christian life and as you grow in maturity, your motivation for pursuing God has to change. There's a point in life and really in the Christian life where we have to move from being self-centered to God-centered, from pursuing God for what he can give us to pursuing God for who he is in himself. So he's going to address our motivations and then last, and this is what's going to cause so much conflict for many, he's going to challenge their allegiance. So the first thing he's going to address, address their need. Now, something's taking place in this passage when they're talking about bread, and it refers to a story in the Old Testament. It's important to get some context. You see, the Old Testament is the backdrop, the narrative, the, the vista behind which the New Testament play rolls out. And one of those stories, the story of the Exodus, and in the Exodus, the Israelites, God's people are in slavery, and God comes, and through the blood of a lamb, a sacrifice of the lamb, he rescues his people from slavery. Now, that language and that picture is how the New Testament describes salvation. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. John the Baptist says, hey, look, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that story is the backdrop upon which Jesus' words have meaning. And he comes and he talks about this bread. And so when God rescued the people out of the exodus and out of Egypt... He brought them through a miraculous story, a baptism in the Red Sea, into the wilderness. And see, they rejoiced for a day, but like most of us, as soon as bad times came, we forgot all the miraculous things God did to get us where we are, and they started complaining. Hey, God, did you just take us out into the desert to die? I know Egypt was bad, but at least I knew how to get food and water. I knew how to operate back in that slavery time. God, what have you done? And so their gratitude wanes and what God does is through the rest of those 40 years he provides bread from heaven now we know that bread from heaven it's a substance called manna and in the morning they would wake up and God would provide now the challenge of God God's provision is they had to trust that it would be there it's not like they had a bank account that they could roll this stuff away couldn't put investments you couldn't have manna investments because as soon as you took the manna and brought it in it would spoil by the end of the day, which was to teach them just simply to rely upon God for your daily bread. And so each morning they would get up and they'd have to trust, hey, is it going to be there? 
is it going to be there? Now, fast forward from that story, and so I'm kind of walking through the Old Testament. When you get to the prophets, the prophets talk about this Messiah, and the Messiah, when he comes, will make everything right that sin has made wrong. So the story of the Messiah is called the Day of the Lord. When the Messiah comes, the Christ, and that's Jesus' last name, right, Jesus Christ, it means Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King. And when the Messiah, when the Christ comes, he's going to set right everything that sin had made wrong. But see, the prophets also said when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he's going to rain down bread from heaven. See, the prophets used that story of Moses and how God brought manna in the wilderness. And they said, this is how you're going to tell when the Messiah is here. Because see, when the Messiah comes, bread is going to be multiplied. Well, we just read that story in John chapter 6. And here's Jesus with a few loaves, and he suddenly begins to multiply this bread, and everyone's thinking, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah, and they want to forcefully grab Jesus. And if you read the story, and I encourage you to read through all of it, they want to forcefully grab Jesus and make him king. Because they see an opportunity. The Christ is here. The Messiah is here. He's now going to meet all our needs. See, they're coming to Jesus to find life. But they want to dictate the kind of life that they want. See, they're coming to Jesus to find life, but they're not allowing Jesus to be life. But they're saying to him, this is the kind of life that we want. This is the kind of God that we want you to be. And so they try to take him forcefully. So jump back with me in verse 25, and let's walk through this. In verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now the signs were markers to identify who Jesus was. In the Gospel of John, you have this series of miracles. Each one of these miracles point to Jesus' identity. And he's saying, you're not coming because you figured out who I am. You're coming because I could give you bread. Hey, you're not coming because you know who I am and you want to know me. You're coming to me because you think, by knowing me, I could make your life better. That's a terrible marriage proposal. To come to someone and say, hey, I'm not coming to you to love you. I'm not coming to you so that we might know each other. I'm coming to you simply for the benefits. I'm coming to you because I know you'll have a good job. Or I'm coming to you because you're beautiful. They're saying to Jesus, I'm not coming to you for you. I'm just simply coming to you so that we might use you. And you'll notice in verse 25, they ask the question, hey, where did you come from? He doesn't answer them. Instead, he addresses their needs. And he's simply saying, you're chasing after the wrong need. You're chasing after the wrong need. Watch this. Actually, jump down, verse 47. In verse 47, Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Meaning, just as your fathers were sustained through literal bread, I will sustain you through my life. And I know there's that section, and we're not going to get into it too much later on, about eating flesh, drinking blood. That's pretty scary right there. Yeah, that, that's strange, isn't it? And, and many people thought that Christians in, in history will tell you this were cannibals because of the communion service. 
Because Jesus is describing things in a way, in a sense, to get people to really ask, what is he saying? What does he mean? And he's saying, when you take my life into you, my life literally becomes your life. Now, we've got a word for this. Ready? It's called being born again. Again. 